This is The Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York, Queens College. And I'm Gibber Rossman from UCLA. Our guest today is Michelle Silver from the University of Toronto. Her book is Retirement and Its Discontents, Why We Won't Stop Working Even If We Can with Columbia University Press. Today, Stanford University Press threatened with cuts. Our discussion was recorded on Wednesday, May 1st, 2019. So for a brief moment, Stanford University Press was uh, facing some cutbacks. The issue blew up on uh, Twitter and uh, Stanford administration relented. But it's an interesting story that speaks to how higher ed is evolving. Stanford University apparently subsidizes its press to the order of about $1.7 million a year. And recently, the school's provost proposed cutting the subsidy, saying that Stanford was, quote, a second-rate press. And he proposed using the money for fellowships, although it was noted that these savings would fund about three graduate fellowships per year if you take the scheme of market pricing fellowships as a guide to how much these things really cost. In any case, the press puts out 130 books a year and has put out some amazing books uh, over the past few years. Danny Friedman's book, which was an excellent book on uh, uh, financial security and uh, uh, you know uh, financial advice. It won ton of uh, tons of disciplinary awards. Neda Magbula's book was also published by Stanford. Another excellent and acclaimed book. Chris Stobel's book. I mean, these are terrific books. Very high profile sociology pieces. I don't see how Stanford University would be considered a second rate press. And to me, this felt like uh, what, what was your? Uh, I, I guess on one hand, this sounds like like a throwaway line that somebody who just wants to cut the subsidy would say, like an MBA type who loses a sense of what universities are there to do, which is to put out ideas, put out thought. Not well. Like- I honestly don't know how it ranks. I mean, because they, they didn't just cut sociology; they cut everything. Right? They yeah. wanted to affect, it. and you know, it may be that they're uh, you know a pretty good sociology press but who knows how they are in other fields i mean i I honestly don't know it it could be but it's a great press like no matter what stanford is a high prestige university and for well yeah but now you're basically saying the same thing with those surveys that show that uh princeton law school is a great law school (laughs) i mean you honestly don't know how good of a press stanford is overall aside from sociology you're qualified to give an opinion on sociology but neither you nor I are yeah. terribly qualified to give an opinion on how they are overall across all the disciplines. They might be great. I don't know. I, I don't know. But w- one thing that rubs me the wrong way is I just get a sense that universities are – well, there's two ways to interpret this, okay? The unfavorable interpretation that I have is like universities seem to be like losing their sense of like the fact that they're – you know, they're they're in the knowledge production business and the knowledge dissemination business. And when I see universities cutting things like their university press, but still investing heavily in football, I, I ask myself, well, are they just losing all sense of what they're doing, like their core mission? On the other hand, maybe we don't really need presses anymore. Maybe they're an artifact of like 20th century scholarship. Well, wait a minute. Football is one of the three core missions of the university. <laughs> or, I mean, you know the famous quote of the job of a university president is to provide the alumni with football victories, the faculty with parking, and the undergraduates with sex. <laughs> it's a, and then straight to the top. Yeah. And like this idea, that, look, I'm sure Stanford is good in whatever. 
is is generally good in its field and there's like a i just imagine some u.s news rankings obsessed person who's all mad because they're number three instead of number seven and not thinking about like the fact that at least in our field they're putting out very good knowledge and i don't know i just get a sense that this is this is a byproduct it now the uncharitable is they're losing their way but maybe we do we need presses like our presses serving the function that they once did can't we just put stuff on the internet now? Like, uh... well, a few people pointed out that the irony is is that Stanford is still requiring, not every department obviously, but many departments of Stanford are still going to require that you publish an academic press book for tenure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, if you just put your three hundred page manuscript on socialarchive.org, they're not going to accept that. Mm-hmm. So, in that respect, it's kind of a tragedy of the commons, in that you know universities have you know generally. The story of higher ed is one of cross-subsidization, where you have some things that lose money, other things that make money, and then they kind of cross-subsidize each other. Right. And when you try and rationalize it, you'll end up saying like, oh, this function loses money. We should outsource that. But you don't realize that it's cross-subsidizing something else, and overall, it makes sense. Um, so the classic one would be something like you know, the phone in your office may have like a $100 phone bill that gets charged to your department. But that's just because that's how they also pay for the Wi-Fi. Right. Is, you know, and overall it makes sense. And it's kind of like how um, your water bill implicitly pays for garbage collection. And so it costs more than just the the water would cost by itself. It, but, you know, there is this cross-subsidization where universities in general uh, and Stanford, you know, like all universities, depends on academic presses for um, the research mission. Mm-hmm. And um, but if it, it is one that basically loses money, unless you basically turn yourself into a trade press like Oxford has. Um, right. And so in, in that respect, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a tragedy of the commons where, you know, Stanford needs university presses to exist so that their faculty can publish. But it doesn't need Stanford to exist because their faculty can always publish with Chicago or Princeton or Columbia or Harvard. Mm-hmm. I've never published with UC Press. Right. Well, the number that I wanted to point out is that um, Stanford's endowment is the fourth largest in the U.S. So, and Mm -hmm. that's a number that's like not really arguable, right? It's like $26 billion probably and growing. Mm -hmm. So there, it's like if if they can't make this work, then who can, right? If CUNY's not going to do it if, (laughs) you know. Well, a lot of that is land value because- Stanford is basically the size of a national park, and it's in the middle of a, a county where the average commercial rent is $7,000 per square foot per month. Right. So, But they have billions in their endowment of like financial. No, no, but the endowment includes, other, includes all their assets, including land. So, I mean, it, it, the way that they, in practice, what they would have to do to um, make that endowment liquid is they would have to take some of the land near the train station, which is currently just a huge park. And turn into condos, yeah. And, which which I actually wouldn't oppose because there's a severe housing shortage there, which is one of the reasons why their grad stipends are like fifty grand. But but the thing is, we're talking about a one point seven million dollar subsidy that the university brings to the press, and we're talking about an endowment of twenty six billion. So I, I don't think they're going to need to sell any property. Yeah, 
Can't, can't they just let in a bunch of middling ability rich kids? I, I think the more relevant comparison is not their endowment, which isn't very liquid. And, you know, the, the interest on that is already allocated, but just compared to the average, to the operating budget um, of Stanford, you know, I, I agree with your implication that a million and change is rounding error. For them, I would say. Yeah, not for me personally. I don't have a million in my calculation. Yeah. <laughs> No, but also it's like core to the mission. You know, it's weird just linking it back to the last study, you know, it's just so odd that schools run their own presses, but like rely on commercial presses who extort their libraries. I mean, like we don't need Elsevier. UC has its own press. Like if it really felt motivated to, uh, you know, create replacements. It has not just the resources, but it has institutions in place. That could- no, no, you're, you're missing the point of the Elsevier thing. It's it's not that the UC doesn't want people to publish in um, Elsevier. It's that they, they know that our scholars need to be able to read articles in Elsevier. And I've attended several faculty senate meetings, and it's the medical uh, school faculty who are mad at the boycott because so many, because Elsevier apparently, I mean, Elsevier is relatively weak in sociology. They, mm-hmm. they publish a handful of social journals. I'm a, you know, and I publish in one of them, but it's, I, I'm still willing to say it's not terribly important in um, sociology, but uh, apparently in medicine, it publishes a pretty high proportion of all medical journals. And Dude. so the medical school faculty, it's not that they want to that they're saying, Oh, we need to publish in the Elsevier journals. Um, it's that we need to be able to keep up with the literature that's published in the Elsevier journals, and it slows down our lit review if we have to, you know, take two days to request an article through interlibrary loan instead of just clicking on it. Oh, I wouldn't make the med school angry. They actually make money, unlike us. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say, I mean, I was saying we don't really know, but I, I am a member, a board member for one of the Stanford University Press lines. Um, so uh, Fred Wary and Jen Lena have an imprint on culture and economy there. And um, and I'm a, a member of their board, which in practice just means that I get sent an article, one, uh, excuse me, a book manuscript once a year, maybe every other year to review. Um, but, you know, when you do that, they, they compensate you by giving you $500 in free books or $250 in cash. And yeah. So, you know, like all academics, I'm a book hoarder because I forget what it was like last time I moved. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so I went through the catalog and there are some great books in there, you know, uh, that weren't sociology. You know, there's some great art history books or some really good art, art, uh, anthropology books. Uh, so, you know, at least in those fields, it seems like they actually are publishing good stuff, although I don't know the reputation in those fields. Uh, the, the eternal allure of the book credit. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. Special thank you to Michelle Silver from the University of Toronto. Her book is Retirement and Its Discontents, Why We Won't Stop Working Even If We Can with Columbia University Press. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter, at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Laseth Moreno. On behalf of Gabriel Rossman, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.